Chapter 23 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zafloya by Charlotte Deka. Chapter 23. The allotted week had not expired, ere change sufficient was visible in the unfortunate Berenza to satisfy even the soul of Victoria, thirsting as it was for his innocent blood. It was in vain that he gazed on her with eyes of dying fondness. It was in vain that, when oppressed by raging thirst, he called on her for drink, and would receive it from no hand but hers. Even this disarmed not her heart of its fell purpose. Even this touched it not with an emotion of pity or remorse. Still she infused, with hand restricted only by fear of danger to herself, the consuming poison into the coveted draught, which, so far from allaying the fever of his blood, was as oil to the devouring flame. Still, Berenza dreamed not that his death was nigh. True, he felt within him, in inanity as it were, a languor of the heart, with sometimes a kind of distaste and weariness of former objects. He knew not precisely the nature of his own sensations, for they varied occasionally. Often his spirits were animated, but then it was an animation which diffused not its vivifying current through the pulses of his heart. It sprang not thence, neither did it leave cheerfulness behind. It seemed independent of himself, as the artificial vivacity which is raised by the power of wine. Always, after the animal spirits had been thus pressed into action, as it were, he became feebler, and more dejected from the strained exertion. This Victoria observing, and instantly concluding that wine, while it exhilarated him for the moment, must still tend to parch up the vital heat, she induced him to drink plentifully of it, thereby causing it to answer the double purpose of blinding him to his actual danger and hastening his death. His cough had now become more serious. Exercise was fatiguing to him, and all society but that of Victoria irksome. Thus was he completely in her power. But nevertheless, she durst not go beyond the directions of Zafloya. The person of the Conte, however, underwent no considerable alteration. His complexion only had become somewhat pallid, though occasionally it glowed with a transparent red. But though feeble and slightly emaciated, his appetite was increased even to ravenousness. From this circumstance he could not believe himself in actual danger, but rather coincided with the pretended hope of Victoria that time, and a naturally robust constitution, would triumph over a disorder that he firmly attributed, as Victoria had suggested, to some neglected and unnoticed cold. The wilds of the Apennines seldom tempted him to roam, with the inhabitants of a few gloomy castellas shattered here and there, at immense distances from his own, he never associated, and Victoria affirmed, in order to keep him more secure, and avoid the remotest risk of drawing attention towards him, that quiet and rest were absolutely indispensable to his recovery. Whatever she willed, right or otherwise, was law to the fond, the dying Varenza, who forgot in her present apparent tenderness towards him, and seeming devotement, all former coolness and discontent. At the very moment in which, with treacherous hand but looks of love, she held towards him the life-destroying draught, in that moment was she dearer to his soul than ever. And often, ere he put it to his parched lips, did he stay his eagerness to kiss the false hand that presented it. In vain did Enriquez entreat of his infatuated brother to receive advice, to explain his sensations, only to hear the opinion of a physician. No, he steadily refused. Victoria was all-sufficient, and on her tender care would he alone depend. The poison, however, now being exhausted, and the week elapsed, 
Victoria, finding that the miserable Berenza was not only yet in existence, but that for the last two days he had not appeared more evidently reduced than he had for some time past, became absolutely impatient to a degree of savageness, and cursed the feeble life that still struggled to retain possession of its worn-out tenement. Deeming it therefore requisite to seek Zafloya, she again repaired to that part of the forest where she had last encountered him. This time the moor seemed awaiting her, and hastening towards her as she approached, he said, "'You are impatient, Senora, at the strength of the Conte's constitution. Is it not so? But rest satisfied. Your end is answered. He cannot long survive.' "'Yet does he not appear worse this evening than he did eight days ago?' murmuringly observed Victoria. "'Probably not, Senora. Yet are the principles of life irreparably sapped. And though you should now resign all further attempts to utterly destroy them, though every aid of medicine might be essayed, yet never now could nature recover herself, for he must eventually and speedily perish.' "'But how soon?' or he may linger for years, even till old age shall have chilled the ardent fires which now burn in my bosom, till my passions shall have withered away, and my energies become damped. O oh, Zafloya, if you desire to serve me, let it be at once. Hitherto you have but trifled. The moor started back, and looked scowlingly upon Victoria. Never before had she beheld him look so terrible. In an instant her proud rage subsided. Her eyes were cast on the earth, and she trembled at what she had suffered to escape her lips. Yes, Victoria, who never before trembled in the presence of mortal being, who did not tremble to agonize and insult a father, to revile a mother, and consign a husband to the grave, trembled now in the presence of Zafloya. To herself even, the sensation she experienced was inexplicable, and involuntarily approaching the moor, who was still distant from her, she took his hand and said, Forgive me, Zafloya, pardon my abruptness, and attribute it to the irksome delay I suffer in my hopes, which confuses and distracts my brain. "'Tis well, Senora," answered the Moor, gracefully, yet haughtily bending and waving his hand. "'You forgive me, Zafloya. Deign then to advise me.' "'I direct, Senora, not advise, and at the same time must observe that the fullest confidence is to be placed in me. You have not yet found that I have deceived you. It will be early enough for reproaches when you discover that I have. Spare them, I beseech you then, till the arrival of that period. Your doubts must vanish meantime, and if you wish my assistance, I must be suffered, without comment, to pursue that line best calculated to render it effectual. I told you that the drug I gave you would work the destruction of the Conte. Did I not add that it would work it slowly? Would you have desired it should be immediate, to frustrate forever your own hopes, and end at once my business here? Well, Zafloya, I will in all respects follow your directions. Relax then the sternness of your brow, and smile upon me as usual. Beautiful Victoria, you are resistless, cried Zafloya, dropping on one knee. Tis I now who sue for pardon, and promise to devote myself to your service. Rise, gentle Moor, and accept my hand, cried the vain and flattered Victoria. Never shall I have power to recompense you. You recompense me, Signora, in accepting my swims. Deign now to listen to me. You desire that Baranza should be cut at once from the face of the earth. I deem it more advisable that he should be left to the concluding effects of the poison he has already imbibed, but that I may gratify your wishes and, above all, guard against the possibility of disappointment. I have here a drug which I have known to be immediate in its operations. Lest, however, it should accidentally fail in the present instance, requiring perhaps a small addition of some corroborative quality, 
or an increase of the dose, I would recommend a previous trial upon some indifferent subject, he paused. I know of no subject, said Victoria, musingly. Has not the orphan Lilla an old female relative with her? observed Zafloya. She is, as far as I can see, a most useless appendage, and hereafter might even prove troublesome. True, replied Victoria. She would answer excellently for an experiment. The Moor smiled with malice. I would have you then, Signora, lend the officious dame into the forest. I will shortly appear, as if by your previous desire, with two glasses of wine or lemonade. You will take the one which I shall put next to you, and present the other to the old Signora. She is feeble and tottering on the verge of the grave. Should not an immediate effect be perceptible on her swallowing it, we must add a grain for the benefit of the Conte. But should it not take instant effect, we shall be betrayed, Zafloya. Leave that to me, Signora, and suffer me to proceed. On my having retired, you shall run hastily towards the castle for assistance, pretending, which will be easily believed, that the Signora hath fallen down in a fit. But should any marks of the poison become perceptible after her death, interrupted the selfish Victoria. They will be naturally attributed to the mode of her death. No suspicion, rest assured, shall be excited. Trust to me, beautiful Victoria. I have an interest, a deep interest, in preserving you from exposure. Well, give me the powder, then. I rely implicitly upon you. The Moor gave into her hand a small paper containing the poison, and the following morning was agreed on for the trial of its efficacy. Separating, then, each reached the castle by different ways. On the following morning, Victoria, having watched her opportunity, entered a little apartment where the aged and inoffensive Signora was tranquilly sitting by a window, inhaling, through the bars of a blind, the fresh breeze from the mountains. Solitary and forsaken by the younger branches of the family, even by the gentle Lilla, who had been drawn away by Enriquez, she smiled with pleasure at the sight of Victoria, who, more rarely than anyone, deigned to notice her. "'What, entirely alone, Signora!' she exclaimed as she entered. "'Come, then,' in a gay and conciliating tone. "'Come, let me lead you out. "'You will find the open air do you more service "'than inhaling it through this confined medium.' "'The poor Signora, surprised and flattered "'at such wonderful condescension, "'rose with trembling limbs, "'yet with all the alacrity she could assume. "'Lean upon me, good Signora,' said Victoria, "'and let me assist you.' The gratified and feeble Signora respectfully accepted the offer. Panting with weakness, she gained at length, however, the precincts of the forest. Here Victoria, though she cursed and dreaded the delay, was under the necessity of permitting her for a few moments to rest upon her arm. But her evil genius assisted her evil intent. No one appeared in view, and the fresh air having a little restored the imbecile powers of her unsuspecting companion, she prevailed upon her to proceed and succeeded at length in luring her, by the unusual honor of her attention, to a more gloomy part of the forest, where a rocky acclivity on one side offered at its base a rugged and projecting seat. Here Victoria, affecting to have selected this spot for its convenient attributes in shading them at once from the sun and the wind, and likewise affording them a seat, entreated the Signora to rest, while, with treacherous kindness, she assisted her to sit." Appearing then infinitely grieved at her evident weariness, though the poor Signora, from complacence and gratitude, forbore complaint, she observed to her, "'You are indeed fatigued, Signora. I apprehend the exertion has been too much for you. Allow me to return to the castle and procure you some refreshment, though generally the Moors of Floya brings me about this hour sherbet or lemonade.' 
"'The Santa Maria forbid,' replied the Signora, "'that you should give yourself any trouble. "'A little rest will quite restore me, "'but I am no longer young, Signora.' "'At that moment Victoria beheld among the trees "'the emerald-covered turban of Zafloya, "'glittering to the sunbeam. "'Her heart leaped, and she rose to receive from him "'the glasses of lemonade which he carried in a silver salver. "'Punctual in taking for herself that which the moor held towards her, "'she presented the other to the unconscious Signora, who received it with a palsied hand, but with a thankful smile and a dim eye that looked on her with gratitude. Scarcely, however, had she taken off the fatal draught, ere overcome by dreadful sickness, she fell headlong from her seat. She essayed to speak, her sunken eyes rolled dreadfully, and with violent convulsion she uttered, I am, I am poisoned. She will not die, muttered Victoria in a low voice to the moor. Zafloya replied not, but stooping over the struggling unfortunate, he compressed her withered throat with his dark hand, and the sounds half-formed rattled within it. Then rising with unruffled visage, he laid his finger on his lip, and pointing towards the castle, precipitately disappeared. Victoria understood the movement. Neither shocked nor alarmed at the frightful outrage committed, she ran from the recess, and, as she gained the castle, called loudly for help. Servants immediately came running different ways, and, when informed that a terrible catastrophe had befallen the old Signora, they hastened to the spot. Even Berenza conquered his pain and lassitude to gaze with awe upon the melancholy fate, a forerunner only of his own. The innocent Lilla, almost frantic, exclaimed in agony as she leaned over the lifeless body of her only relative, that she had now, indeed, no friend, but was a deserted orphan left destitute in the world. "'Unkind Lilla!' cried Enriquez, endeavoring to draw her from the painful scene. "'Have you not a lover, and can you want a friend?' Lilla replied not, while tears of anguish coursed down her fair cheeks, and melancholy forebodings filled her breast. Enriquez passed his arm round her waist, and forced her from the spot, while Victoria gazed upon them as they passed with eyes of malignant rage. Everyone believed that the old Signora had expired suddenly in a fit, some said the air had taken too powerful an effect on her debilitated frame. Some, that she had been seized with sudden convulsion, while even the wisest attributed the event to the visitation of providence and the infirmity of age that could no longer support the burden of existence. None surmised the real cause. At the dreadful scene of her death, there were no witnesses but its cruel perpetrators. In the gloomy solitariness of mutual guilt, the deed was hatched and done. End of chapter 23